AA Beyond Belief is a podcast by, for, and about people who have found a secular path to sobriety in Alcoholics Anonymous. Hello and welcome to our Friday live stream. Tonight we'll be talking about decision making. How are you at making decisions? Is your decision making process different now than that you're in recovery? Are you better at making decisions? Let's talk about it. This is a completely interactive podcast, so please remember to send your comments through to YouTube and Facebook or call us at our toll-free number 844-899-8278. We'd love to hear from you. Angela, how are you doing over there? Doing well. I was just finishing eating some uh, salted caramel cluster cashew milk oh, that sounds ice pretty cream. Good. That sounds yeah, pretty good. It, it's super, super sweet. I usually only have it with coffee um, because it's that sweet, but, you know, it's Friday night and, and I got to go a little bit wild. Absolutely. But, yeah, I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing great. I had the day off today and it's, I actually spent it writing an essay about decisions. <laughs> So I'm, I'm ready for this, uh, this podcast today. I give, I've given wow, it a lot of thought. You are wild. Yes. I wrote, I wrote yeah, a five take paragraph a day off, essay. <laughs> day off work and spent it writing an essay. Yeah. Well, I've, I've been trying to improve my writing anyway. And I thought, well, I may as well, um, you know, get ready for this podcast and write a little essay about it. So sounds good. Yeah. You know, as I was uh, thinking about, you know, decisions, uh, the one thing that occurred to me, well, there's a couple of things, but the the underlying theme that that came to my mind was that decisions my my ability to make decisions had a lot to do with the measure of the unmanageability in my life so in other words i um during my drinking years when it was, when my drinking was really bad i i essentially wasn't making decisions i mean i was just reacting to whatever crisis was going on at the time and doing whatever i could do to survive and i was really reacting from instinct, you know, the fight or flight instinct. And I, in my case, I was usually flying, fleeing. (laughs) (laughs) Flighting. (laughs) Yeah, but it was like a really messed up life because I didn't have the ability to make changes. And then, and then when I um, got sober, when I stopped drinking and got into AA, it wasn't like things just changed overnight for me. And I still didn't have this ability to make good decisions. And Interestingly enough, you know, those first uh, 30, no, first nine, 90 days of my sobriety is when I had some of the most consequential decisions to make. And I relied on my old way of just not making the decision, just being stuck in fear, you know, and avoiding it. And so just waiting for basically calamity to come my way. And then once calamity come my way, I just hope that I'd climb out okay. You know, that's just the way I lived my life. And that was unmanageable. And so I thought, you know what? You know, it really wasn't until I learned how to make decisions that I could have some sort of control over my life. That and, of course, not drinking, you know. Right. So, (laughs) yeah. So, yeah, so that's kind of kind of the conclusion I came to as I as I was writing. Um, so, hey, Stephen, how you doing? Hey, Jackie, good to see you all there. And I know Joe is watching on Facebook. Hey, everyone. <laughs> so uh, what, what are your thoughts? Where do you think this conversation should go? Well, I was thinking a little bit about, you know, uh, before <laughs> Before quitting drinking, which sounds kind of strange, <laughs> but, um, you know, prior to recovery, um, yeah, it, my life was pretty unmanageable. I, I didn't have a lot of tools, um, or healthy tools to use to deal with, uh, any sort of adversity or, you know, difficult situation. Um, I, I went from job to job, you know, I, I didn't take a whole lot of thought in, 
and you know who I I uh, hung out with, um, any of that kind of stuff. Uh, so you know, and then when I was drinking, it was nice to you know just not think about those things. Um, you know, it wasn't as great the next day when I'd have to go pick up my card and you know had an unreasonable tab that I couldn't afford. You know, those kinds of things. Um, that that wasn't pleasant. <laughs> so, so yeah. So my my life was pretty pretty unmanageable. Um, in early recovery, you know, um, I when when we thought of this topic, I'm like, well, you only have to make one decision and, you know, and that doesn't mean you have to do it. You just, you know, the frogs on the log type of a thing. Um, and, uh, um, but really, you know, um, I think that learning how to make good decisions, um, I started to gain some skills in, um, you know, working the steps. Um, and maybe I could even say before that, uh, just going to meetings, making that a habit, doing the suggested, you know, 90 and 90 type of thing, um, and finding a, a group of people within AA, you know, a home group that, uh, that I did service work with, um, you know, all of those things were, were, uh, contributed to, you know, my ability to start making decisions or to at least understand how some people made better decisions than I did, <laughs> you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then I, I think, you know, looking at uh, my behavior and the, the way um, I had thought about things prior um, through the steps, you know, for, uh, six, seven, that kind of thing, um, helped me to, you know, see where I was going wrong in my thinking. So I guess it, it cognitively speaking, it would say, uh, cognitive thinking errors, um, helped me to understand, you know, that, that I didn't always, uh, see situations, um, or perceive reality correctly and that I had a habit of doing that and that these were some of the, some of the examples of where that, uh, that was definitely something you could see. And I um, found that incredibly confusing when I was like in my first year or two, I guess, because I did have, I, I, you know, like I, I've mentioned before that my recovery, especially the first two years was not easy. And I was still trying to take care of just the basics of life, you know, and so I was often confused because I was in some sort of a situation and I couldn't trust my perception of what was actually going on. You know, but at least I was aware that I couldn't trust my perception of what was going on. That was a good step in the right direction anyway. Yeah. But yeah. It was well, difficult. And I yeah, I, I think that, you know, some of the things that we get, and I guess it depends on where you attend meetings as well. Um, you know, I've, I've heard in, in some meetings, even within the same town. So like even in this location where new people will come in and they still say things like, you know, to sit down, shut up and, you know, and listen or whatever. Um, and, um, that you don't have anything important to say until you've, got so many days sober or whatever, um, which, you know, I never thought was, uh, you know, effective, important or necessary to say. And I never, you know, listened anyway. You know, I said what I want when I wanted to. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, so one of the things uh, for me was like actually just sharing uh, what was really going on. So, um, so sharing if I was stressed about something or uh, the time that I moved out of uh, one place into another with somebody I knew, but suddenly, you know, they're just bringing in tons of bottles of booze um, and, uh, and that, you know, I didn't know what to do because I didn't have enough money to be able to get another apartment or move someplace else or whatever, you know, I was, I was, you know, I was greatly in debt and, uh, and, uh, living month to month, I was still behind, <laughs> you know, that kind of a thing. And so, yeah, so those were things that I, I truly didn't know how to handle. Um, and prior to 
recovery. I, uh, I, you know, either avoided those or pretended they didn't exist or, you know, which always made them worse. Um, and in early recovery, you know, I still didn't have the means to uh, make a lot of meaningful change in these, in the ways that I, I would have liked to. Um, you know, I, I still had the fantasy of, of going to, you know, some posh country club resort for my first six months of sobriety. And, you know, and, and I, I yeah, always fantasized that that would be so much better. Uh, but the truth was, I wasn't in that position. And I had to learn it as I went. And, you know, and I think that that's been part of, you know, the success for me is that I didn't have any of the, the fantasy fly away stuff. So when I did my my fifth step, that too, I wanted, you know, to go to the beach and read it on the beach and then, you know, have a ceremony or I don't know what I wanted, but it was much more uh, romanticized in my brain than, you know, sitting outside of a coffee shop and, you know, <laughs> or whatever it was. That was that was not part of how I thought the whole experience was supposed to go. But it's how it went. You know, I had to keep a day job while I was doing the steps and, uh, and you know, I wanted to be, you know, have this be my only thing that I concentrated on. Um, and, uh, and it wasn't. And so I, I had to live life, continue living life, continue to make some mistakes um, while learning how to make fewer mistakes. Um, so, so yeah, so that's, that's part of it. Um, and then, you know, by bringing stuff to meetings, um, and talking about it, um, then I got a lot of different, uh, responses of how other people had, uh, dealt with similar experiences, you know, and what are the tools amazingly that they valuable. That is yeah. so valuable. That, that, that is what I, you know, I still rely on that. And that has probably, that, that is probably more than anything that I ever did in AA helped me with my decision-making was just talking to people about what was going on, you know, so that I can make a decision and listening to people who have been through similar situations. So that, that was a huge game changer for me. Right. Yeah. I, I kind of talk about it like the game show, it, you know, pull the audience. Um, you know, so it's where I share something and then get to hear, you know, a lot of different um, responses on how people have dealt with it. And, uh, and the funny thing is, is even when other people have brought things up they were dealing with and, uh, and I didn't have experience with it at that time, a lot of it, uh, stayed with me, even though I, I, you know, wasn't necessarily focusing on, you know, the the conversation or the meeting or whatever, you know, um, that just going to enough meetings maybe um, or listening at the <laughs> at the time um, when those problems did come up, I I had some ideas on um, directions to go uh, to help resolve them um, or to to help uh, calm myself if it was something that I couldn't necessarily resolve. Um, and so, yeah, so sharing in meetings was a, a really big tool for me um, and still is on both helping to um, center myself um get clear on whatever the problem is because sometimes it presents itself in a a way that uh, that is not actually what the problem is um, so but my talking about it saying it out loud helps me to clarify that and and so I often feel better just by talking about it um, but then it also you know puts it out there to my community to be of help to me and uh, and so then that helps them stay sober as well, because, you know, they're being of service to me just by sharing their experience. Um, and so, yeah, so that's kind of some of the things I, I know early on that helped me and and still help me, you know, um, particularly the learning my my thinking errors and recognizing that that. Um, that was something that was a pattern that I needed to learn how to do differently. Um, and so uh, when I was thinking about this, uh, it uh, also made me think about when I learned to do some of these things um, with decision making differently, that uh, that it felt weird, that it felt different to make different decisions or to use different tools to make decisions. And one that I've mentioned before, but is still a, a good one 
for me is uh, when I'm asked to do something saying, uh, let me get back to you <laughs> so that I could actually think about it. Because, you know, in early recovery, I, I had heard the adage that you never turn down an AA service request. And, uh, and so I developed resentments on, you know, some of this service stuff that I did because um, I either, you know, didn't think that it was important or I didn't have time to do it or, you know, um, things like that. But I didn't feel like I could say no. And and that was the same in a lot of my life, uh, other areas of my life. I didn't feel like I could say no to things. Um, and so I just had way too much going on. And then my self-esteem would get lower because I couldn't fulfill or, you know, follow up on these commitments. Um, and so learning to say, you know, let me get back to you, uh, gave me some time to think about, you know, what all, what are the commitments that I currently have in my life? And, uh, and do I have enough time uh, for this one? Or if this one is more important than, you know, something else, can I let something else go? Um, but it, it just bought me time to be able to, to think about things. And, uh, and as Dale says, uh, be less reactive, <laughs> you know, uh, to situations. So and more mindful. Um, but it, it, it hasn't been easy um, for me, and you know, and it didn't even come in the first five years. I mean, it, it, I started getting better at it, um, but it's only been in like the last, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe seven years that I feel like I have more ability to make better decisions. Like I, I have more agency to do that and I can be more intentional about it. Um, and some of that is learning new tools. Um, some of it's being sober long enough to, to continue to, uh, improve my brain and create new neural pathways and, you know, neuroplasticity and all that kind of fun stuff. <laughs> and some of it is by, um, trying new techniques for making decisions and, and failing at them, you know, or, or, or I guess technically uh, uh, most of the decisions aren't, you know, maybe a failure. It's, uh, I guess, um, more about like um, like how committed I am to the results or something like that. Um, you know, so it's like how committed to the outcome am I in whatever this decision is. Um, and if it if I have a certain idea of how I want it to go and it goes differently, do I do I gauge that decision as being a bad decision or was it maybe a good decision and it just didn't go the way that I wanted it to? But, you know, it's still a good decision, you know, it's very important, I think, too, is um, it's something I learned, I guess, the hard way is that, you know, all I can do is make the best decision I can make with the information that I have. And then uh, let the chips fall where they may. Uh, fortunately for me, you know, most of the decisions that I run across in my day-to-day life aren't critical. Um, they, I mean, they aren't they aren't like the life and death types of decisions or the, um, you know, that I was dealing with during my crisis periods of my life. You know, but still, they are um, they're little decisions that can add up over time if I'm not if I'm not really stopping, like you're saying and thinking about it and telling people, Hey, I'll get back with you before I know it. I'm really overwhelmed, you know? And, uh, that's really one area where I, I actually do need to work on is, is what you just suggested is telling people, Hey, let me get back to you on that. Because oftentimes I'll just say, yeah, I'll do it. And then I look at my calendar and say, Oh my God, I already got something to do then. You know, it's like, what am I, what am I even thinking? So it's like what Dale was saying, you know, it's, it's a matter of being less reactive and more thoughtful and mindful, and I'm like that with the big things, you know, if I'm having trouble at work or if, if I'm having a serious relationship problem or some, something that's really, really serious or more serious, then I'm much better at taking the time to figure out what is going on with me. You know, what do I need to do and, and taking and going through all the steps. Um, cause I have a little bit of a process that I go through when, when I, when I make decisions and when they're important decisions, you know, Right. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I learned, um, I think it was from Wally, you know, to some extent of, of uh, asking myself, you know, what a responsible, rational person would do in this situation um, and, uh, and trying to go from there if it's something that, uh, that I need to do quickly or that I have some sort of uh, emotional doubt about. You know. And that's another thing for me that, um, that is taking time is to uh, check in with my body um, to get some information on how to make a decision because sometimes, you know, um, my body will tell me as in, you know, if the, if I'm, you know, have something come up that I need to make a decision about and I weigh out the options and then I decide, okay, this is what I need to do. And then I d- develop a stomach ache, <laughs> you know, then that might be my body saying, hey, maybe you should reconsider or there might be, you know, some other things going on um, that uh, that I need to, to check into or, or look at. So um, so that's a, a thing that uh, in the last few years that I, I've been working on is uh, my mind body connection and being able to uh, check in and discern with that, because there's a lot of information there that I never paid attention to. Uh, most of my life, I, you know, kept them separate. I've always been a kind of in my head kind of person. Um, and it turns out that, that my head's connected to a body and, uh, and that there's, there's a lot going on there. And there's a lot of information that I, I could get to make better decisions and to live a, uh, a, a better life. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's one of them. Another one, um, was like, and we, I think most of us hear this early on is what are your intentions? So it's, uh, it usually comes up when a newcomer says that they need to, um, to go to a bar with their friends for something. And, you know, and people ask, well, you know, what are your intentions with that? <laughs> you know, are you going there for a concert? You know, and if so, then, um, are you, um, you know, does somebody there know that you're sober or that you're in sobriety so that you have kind of an accountability buddy. Um, and if not, you know, why have you decided not to tell anyone? And is this really something that you need to do? Um, so yeah. Um, or also like, you know, say, a, uh, you want to get a new car. Well, you know, do you have the money to get the new car? Um, you know, why do you want it? Uh, do you want it just to look good or to impress, you know, a, a new person in your life? Or, you know, do you think that it means, you know, that you have a certain status? So if you get the car, then you'll get that status, um, you know, or is it going to put you in greater debt? And is your car okay to get you by and until you're in a better position? You know, and, and those are things that, that, yeah, I needed to deal with um, for my own life and look at. And, and they weren't, you know, always fun <laughs> because, you know, I wanted to be wild, cool, free and, and stuff. And, uh, and I guess I became less and less cool uh, the more sober I got, but uh, more and more you know, responsible, um, and rational and, and ultimately, you know, a person that I like now, which was what I wanted when I got into sobriety is I, I wanted to, to live a sober life, um, and not be completely insane. And that I was really hoping that this would be a way to do that. And it, and it has been, I am not completely insane, no. <laughs> at least not totally, you know, maybe 75, 25, I don't know, depending on the day, but, um, but yeah, I've learned a lot about, you know, decision making, um, how to research things. I do sometimes still get into the analysis paralysis of research when I need to make a de- big decision. Uh, like I recently had to get a new phone and, and I've had my phone since 2016, which is a long time for a phone. And, um, and so having to look and research and then ask other people what kind of phones they have and how they're working for them and how do they use them, you know, the most and uh, see if, you know, those are all things that match up with what I use my phone the most for and what would be best for me. Um, you know, all of those things I've, I've learned how to do in that's recovery. A lot better, that's a lot better than being impulsive. I mean, that impu- being impulsive is, was something that... Um, I had a hard time growing out of. Um, there's some good comments out here. Jackie says that um, the um, practice to decide to committing to self-care isn't selfish. 
And, uh, you know, those are the types of things I really needed to hear early on that sometimes I didn't hear because the group I went to at the time when I was a newcomer, they were really focused on self-centeredness and almost anything I did was selfish, you know, such a selfish bastard. But uh, here's another nice comment. Uh, he says that making decisions based on logic alone can be disastrous. Making decisions based on emotions alone can be disastrous. Making decisions based on intentions alone can be disastrous. So it's like, you know, you really need to use everything that you got in making decisions. Um, right. I think that's a lot of how the community or the fellowship uh, comes in as well. And and I think that, you know, there are things in our society now that we could probably benefit from um, within the program, uh, which a lot of people probably wouldn't, you know, or would be surprised to hear me say. But um, but the, the idea of, you know, a collective of asking other people and, and getting a lot of different input so that you're not being impulsive and just, you know, making your decision on one thing. Um, I think is is helpful um, and helps you make better decisions uh, because there's a lot of different angles um, that other people might have thought of that that I hadn't. So you know, say um, buying a house, you know, I I wouldn't have uh, looked before at where the vents are placed and how old the roof is, which sounds strange to homeowners, but I didn't know any of that because I was never a homeowner and, you know, my family was very poor and nobody owned their homes. And so I didn't know about changing filters or <laughs> anything, you know, lawn keep up, how long you're supposed to do that. You know, I, I lived in apartments or we just didn't take care of our lawn as a kid. We were terrible neighbors. Um, um, oh, I had a similar uh, experience because we moved every couple of years. I know I never, we never lived in one place long enough to have to do any upkeep. So now I'm in a house for like, we've been here for 15 or 16 years or whatever. And it's like, oh yeah, you actually have to fix things around here. <laughs> right. Stuff begins to fall apart. Yeah. Congratulations to Alex out there. He's going to, on September 1st, six years of sobriety. He just found cool. us. He always says he went from being a Catholic to a Protestant to agnostic. That's, that's, a, right. that's an interesting journey in itself right there. There are some oh, decisions yeah. he had to make. Yeah, about who definitely. He was. You know, something right. that I used to hear a lot um, mm -hmm. that I think we all hear a lot is not to make any decisions or um, probably more, um, more in the line of don't make any um, major changes, life changes during your first year of sobriety. And I, I, I gave that some thought. And, and I think that, I think that it's more correct to say don't make any unnecessary or unneeded changes um, during your first year of sobriety because there are, you know, like, like I was saying, during my first 90 days, I was dealing with some serious decisions I needed to make, you know, about just, just, just to get to that first level of security so that I could maintain my sobriety. I had a lot of changes I needed to make serious um, life changes. So to say not to make the, any sort of a change or decision, I think is a little bit, you know, maybe I'm just playing semantics, but it's, it's the other things. It's like, you know, maybe you shouldn't go quit your job and start a new business. You know, may, maybe you might want to, maybe you might want to wait before you get into a relationship. You know, it's, it's those kinds of decisions that I think people might be better um, to wait on, you know, rather than just to jump in and make, but other decisions, I mean, you're, you're going to be forced when you're, when you're newly sober, you're going to be forced to make some serious decisions that you, you know, you've got to make. And, uh, you know, in my case, looking back on it, you know, I was, like I said earlier, I was just doing what I knew to do. Um, I was just still, you know, um, denying or not dealing with until the storm comes and then I would get out of it somehow, you know, I'd somehow come out of it, you know, <laughs> That's right. just the way I lived. And, but then after a couple of years and it, for me, it was going through the steps, but after a couple of years, I learned to kind of examine myself and to really kind of think through and what was going on, what I needed to do, whether I needed to do it, talk it over with one person, talk it over with another person. So that by the time I actually had to make the decision, I was confident in what I was doing. And even if it didn't turn out right, you know, it always seemed to be that, you know, I knew that things, 
things weren't, it wasn't as, it wasn't like during my drinking days where, you know, I could go to jail or something like that. It was, it wasn't, it wasn't that major of a deal usually. And that, that was the nice thing about being sober is that I could, you know, life got a little bit more manageable so that any decisions I had to make were not as consequential as they were earlier. But boy, those first nine, 90 days, um, I, I was still dealing with all the consequences of my drinking and having to make decisions to get out of, out of the, of all that mess. Yeah, I was in, you know? Right. Yeah. And I think some of this stuff about, you know, the first year, I think it would be better if people just kind of talked about uh, why that's kind of a, a saying or why it's a suggestion, you know. Um, and, you know, I mentioned before, for me, it, it was mentioned the relationship thing, because after a year of sobriety, I would hopefully, <laughs> you know, um, have a different perspective on uh, life and on myself. Um, you know, hopefully I would have better self-esteem. And so it was fair to say that I would, uh, I might not be interested in the same type of person that I was, you know, in early sobriety. And, and that for me turned out to be true. Um, so, you know, and if somebody would, or somebody did say that, and so that kind of made sense to me, it was, you know, weird at the time, because I think sometimes we have a hard time of, of, uh, you know, projecting in our, into the future, uh, a reasonable way that we might be, um, you know, it's usually, um, you know, fantasized or, or idealized, um, but, uh, but putting it in terms of that, you know, if I do this work, then, um, you know, hopefully I'll, I'll have changed, um, had a, you know, a psychic change, you know, if not a spiritual experience, um, and, uh, and, you know, be closer to the person that I would like to be. And so that person, um, would make better decisions about relationships. And, uh, and so that's, you know, why it was good for me, at least that particular one. Um, but yeah, I agree with, um, you know, uh, I know some people who've been in bad marriages where the other person is still drinking and, you know, so to tell them that, you know, you shouldn't yep, get that's divorced. That's a decision you've got to make. <laughs> that's know? a decision you've got to make like, because it's your survival. You, that, and that's the whole thing. You have that mess, you have that, those issues that are really, you know, your, your sobriety depends on it. Those are decisions you're, you're going to have to make, you know? And, uh, so yeah, that's, that's just something that, um, you know, I, that I, that I was thinking about is, you know, when I, when I would hear that it was more, I think it's more important just to look at those, um, those other things, those, those unnecessary changes, you know, that will come later that, um, you know, after you kind of get the basics covered, then you can make those, those other, you know, things you can do those other things that to 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 kind of act self-actualize or whatever to be to grow as a as a human being yeah Um, it's probably not great for you know your third week of sobriety to uh get hitched to somebody that you met in the room and then you know fly to uh you don't know zimbabwe to go on an adventure and then you know two days there you realize you've you've really made a mistake (laughs) when i've talked to um like experts in addiction they talk about and i don't quite understand all of this but they talk about how when you become addicted to alcohol, how it affects your brain, it changes your brain, okay, so that your cognitive abilities have been um, diminished somewhat, you know, you, um, especially when you're inebriated, your your frontal cortex or whatever, you're not using it, you're not using that part of your brain where you think things through. And uh, because of all the um, neurotransmitters that have been all messed up with the ups and downs of all the chemicals and so forth, it takes a while for your brain to kind of get back to where you can begin using your brain the way it's supposed to be used. You know, like I think I was, I was using my um, very back of my, my lizard brain of survival. You know, it's like, Oh, wait for the, wait for the force to burn down and I'll figure a way out. You know, it's like, you know, that that's just the way I lived. So I think that's one thing about during that first year is that, you know, don't just, yes, you know, you, you are going to have to deal with the crises that you, that are going to follow you after you stop drinking. But, you know, um, other things, let's just hold on there because there, there is, um, you know, it's like that Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You have to meet those, those basic needs before you can start making those bigger decisions. Um, this Facebook user says that uh, they are still learning to handle the fear surrounding the potential to make a bad decision and not being able to reverse it. 
The safe alternative can be staying stuck. See, that's what I did. I just didn't do anything. I just, out of fear, I just didn't do anything. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that goes back, at least in my mind, to the idea that of, you know, good versus bad decisions. Um, you know, I, I don't know that, that, you know, there's, um, I mean, I, I guess in some situations there's definitely a line, but um, sometimes you can make a good decision um, that has an outcome that, you know, is not pleasant um, or fun, but it's still a good decision. Um, and sometimes you, you can make a, you know, decision that is, uh, it, that is not good, but in the long run, you know, may turn out to be uh, the best route. Um, and so, you know, I think that this kind of at least – you know, what I'm reading on here, um, may be, you know, one of those situations. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and particularly if it's in regards to, to work or relationship or something like that, um, then those are, those are big things. And, uh, and those are things that if you, you know, don't have a community yet, um, that you trust that, you know, perhaps taking it to a, a professional, to a counselor, um, to a therapist, somebody along those lines to, to be a, uh, a voice of reason to help you talk through it so that, um, you make the best decision that you can with the information you have at that particular time. And uh, in which case, you know, then that is, you know, the best decision. You've gone through several steps to try to ensure that you're you're making the decision um, in uh, the most appropriate way, uh, making it intentional, that kind of thing. We have a caller. Let's okay. see who this is. Hello. Hello. Hello, hey, how are you? Jackie. Hey, Jackie, how are you? Hey, Jackie. Good. Can, can you guys hear me okay? I hear you great. Yeah. Oh, good. good. Um, yeah, I just thought I'd call in and uh, talk about uh, some decision stuff. And, you know, I'm, I'm all about pausing before we make a decision, which is, uh, which is also, you know, one of the, the silly, well, they're not silly, but like the think it through kind of thing that they would say Uh you you want to drink think it through where's it going to take you and um you know when you're even talking about these hard decisions and being afraid um being afraid to make the wrong decision i don't know i i feel like and again i'm sober for a long while now i couldn't have done this at the beginning for sure but i do feel like there's very few bad decisions that i couldn't just live with the outcome you know, like even if it is a job or um, a relationship or I, I don't know, like I've gotten the tools to realize how to live with really when bad stuff happens, even if it's my decision, you know. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I feel, I guess, really lucky about that. And I want to tell this story, man. I, I knew this guy in AA and this happened probably 15 years ago and I still remember it. He worked in a job for a really long time, got paid really well, good benefits, but he felt like it was time for a change, and he got a job offer. And I saw him about six months later in a meeting, and I said, uh, you know, oh, how's the new job? How'd it go? And he's like, it's terrible. I hate it. And I said, oh, you made the wrong decision. He's like, no, I made a decision. Yeah, I just hate the job. And I thought that was really profound, (laughs) you know? uh, I had that exact exact situation. Yeah, I made a job. I, I really? a job change. Yeah, I uh, I had been working at this job for like five years. I just got married. I'd been married for like six months, and I decided to take this other job, and because I was wanting to make more money and so forth. And I uh, I took that job, and I found out that I absolutely hated it. So I left a job that I loved, where everybody loved me, and I took this job that was absolutely miserable. I had a boss that was just horrible. Um, but the thing is, I'm still at that job. <laughs> and, and what happened is, what happened is my boss changed, you know, and now I have the best boss in the world and I love my job. <laughs> so there you go. So things, things can change. And, and I just had to deal with the boss that I had. And I learned a lot from the process too. So there you go. Anyway, sorry for interrupting yeah, you. Yeah. Well, and, and lastly, I, I think that, you know, I think most people mean well when we come into AA, but I think it's this kind of, again, my pet peeve is the one size fits all, you know, and people come in really, I think different. I mean, I think we're the same, but different, you know, and like 
uh, you know, John, you and I came in around the same age and around the same time. And I feel like we were in similar headspace when I, when I hear you, you know, share. Um, so yeah, I needed a lot of help and I, I, I was a mess and, but you know, I, there's a new woman in my life right now who's got a couple of kids and she's married and she's got a job and like, she's just different than yeah, I am, yeah. you know, like, um, yeah, I don't know how to explain it. And so sometimes I think, yeah, it probably wouldn't have been good for me to make certain decisions, but I think she's actually capable of it. She seems a little more mature than I was. Because she's already got a lot of the basic stuff. security already covered, you know, that, that you yeah. and I might not have had. Yeah. You know, we came with, you know, with just yeah. not having a lot of the basics, you know, food, shelter, all that kind of stuff, <laughs> you know, taken care of. Yeah, so, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And then, um, sorry, really last now is I'll never forget, and I think I probably have shared this with you before, maybe even on here, but um, I had, you know, I was a victim of trauma when I got sober, and I needed therapy. When I took the drugs and alcohol away, all my feelings came up. And so it was it was like, okay, do I get high or do I jump off a bridge? Because I can't handle this, not being numb. And people, at least one person, maybe more, said, you should not go to therapy until you're a year sober. And oh. that, like, luckily somebody else said, no, go to therapy. Yeah, I'm so, so glad someone know, else that, said that's that. That's what she thought. Yeah, no major decisions, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, yeah, and it's, I used to think that, you know, don't get in a relationship. I know what they mean by romantic relationship. But, man, when I got sober, I was in such intense, intimate relationships with everybody. In the world. <laughs> like, not romantic, but, you know, so, anyway. You know something else they should probably uh, say, you know, rather than um, don't make any decisions, don't let someone else make decisions for you, you know, because right. um, <laughs> that's what happens a lot put, of times. Yeah, that'll put a lot of sponsors yeah, out of work, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it is something yeah, we should do. That's great, that's great. So, um, so yeah, thanks, thanks guys for, geez, doing this for so long now. It's really awesome. Oh, thank you for calling. I just made a decision. I just made a decision to get a puppy. Oh. And uh, <laughs> that was a funny oh, John. And, uh, but here's what's funny. I really wanted one, and my husband didn't. And I was feeling really comfortable with that. Like, then I could just be mad at him for not wanting one, and then I could just have this idea of what it would be like to have a puppy. And then all of a sudden, he's like, oh, if you want a puppy, get a puppy. And now we have a puppy and I'm exhausted and I'm like, why did you say that? <laughs> so anyway, so that's just a little bit of, which, anyway, it's fine. Puppies grow up. So well, I, I love dogs. Anyway, I... Thanks, guys. <laughs> All right, Jackie. Yeah. Thank you for calling. All right. Okay, no. Well. Now, my wife decided to get a dog and she was like looking on, on the internet at this, at the wayside waves at all these dogs. Right. And so I knew she was going to get one and I didn't really want a dog. You know, I was happy with the two cats and, but you know, I wasn't going to stop her cause I know she loves dogs. So anyway, I love that dog, you know, and that, <laughs> I love that dog and she's like the best dog I've ever known. And, and she's really important to me now when, you know, when I'm working and I'm feeling stressed, I take her for a walk and it just right. helps me so much. So I love dogs. Get a dog. They're good for you. <laughs> Anna says she's learned to make better, bad decisions, but I have yeah. to be willing to make mistakes. Being sober allowed her to remember those decisions and learn not to get too attached to outcomes. Important expectations are premeditated resentments. Oh, that's a good quote. I like that. Yeah. Expectations yeah. are premeditated resentments. Oh, that's right. really good. Yeah. And, and I think that that kind of goes with, uh, with what was said, uh, before about, uh, being comfortable in, uh, being uncomfortable, you know, if, if the decision wasn't something or didn't turn out exactly as, as you wanted that, you know, that you can live with that, uh, and be able to be like, yeah, that, that's just the way it's going to be. And I, again, I think that takes, you know, a little bit of, uh, of sobriety, some work either within, uh, sobriety or, um, through counselors and stuff, uh, and then some maturity, you know, some of it just comes with age too, of being able to be okay with, uh, 
with negative or less than pleasant outcomes. Yeah. You know, I, like I say, when I, when I took that new job, I just thought, oh my God, what a horrible mistake because it was, I was, it was like, you know, the job that I left, it was just like the perfect culture, you know, and I was just so comfortable there. And I just operated on this assumption that that must be the way it is everywhere. But when I went to this other company, they were in the midst of this huge upheaval, People were being laid off right and left. Um, the culture was changing because some other company was kind of forcing it to do it, do things its way and everything. It was just a huge mess. And I was in the middle of it as a new guy. And I thought, oh, my God. But, you know, things turned out just great. Um, I, I made it through those tough times. And um, I still had the better pay. I had the better benefits. And I was still learning for my job. And, you know, things were just fine. So, Things turned out really well for me. Anyway, yeah. I, I can so just how long? On. How long did you have to be uncomfortable in that? Oh uh, man, decision? a long time, a long time. And it was, and it really had to do with my boss. Only my boss. If I didn't have him, it would have been okay. But he was really abusive, and he was um, a sarcastic person, and he was constantly um, aiming his sarcasm at me. And it was, it was just horrible, but, um, he would even make fun of me for not drinking. You know, if we were at some social thing, he'd be getting drunk or whatever, and then make fun of me because I wasn't drinking. That's what kind of a jerk he was, you know? So, (laughs) but yeah, so I can't remember how long it was, but it was probably 10 years. I had to deal with that guy. Wow. I know that's, that's that's a long time. And the only thing that, that got me through it was, first of all, I I knew how to deal with difficult people like him anyway, the best I could anyhow. And plus there were, there were a lot of good people that I worked with. I had a great, you know, my coworkers were great. The job that I was doing was okay. And all that kind of stuff. It was just that one thing looking back on it now, though, I should have, I should have complained. I should have done something about him, but I didn't, you know, I just, I just tried to deal with him, you know, the best I could, but I could have been proactive and I could have, I could have talked to him more firmly. I, and if he didn't change, I could have gone to HR. There's a lot of different things I could have done to make my decision, make my uh, situation better. I just didn't do it. You know, I just, and instead I kind of internalized things and, and worked on whatever I was feeling, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I survived. Yeah. So. And sometimes, you know, that that's another thing with somebody else mentioning being in a, a situation that uh, may not be good for them uh, for too long because of the difficulty of making a, a decision. And, and so sometimes that's where, again, professional help would have, you know, been something that could could help you either stay like you did in your situation which you know you did (laughs) you know so by having having an outlet like AA or a counselor or whatever can help you stay in uncomfortable places long enough to be able to either make a a better decision or for things to to change um and uh you know a lot of my problems with uh making decisions too quickly was because something was uncomfortable and i wanted it to change as quick as possible and so i wouldn't do the due diligence to make a a good decision i just needed to change how i felt and uh and before i did that with alcohol and before alcohol i did that with food and so you know there's a lot of ways uh that we can do that healthy and and unhealthy. Um, but your comment m- reminded me of um, in early sobriety, there was a woman in my home group um, who w- shared that she um, she had been, uh, her boss had sent her to a, a workshop um, on dealing with difficult people. <laughs> and that in that she, you know, said, yeah, I definitely need to go to this workshop because some of my coworkers are the worst. And she got there. And as they started describing, you know, what a difficult person was, she realized she was the difficult oh. person. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And so, so that gave her some perspective and uh, yeah, she started to feel better about her job and make different decisions so that people, you know, um, hated her less, I guess. Um, but yeah, I always thought that that was hilarious. And, uh, and I just loved that she shared that. Uh, that's one of the, the great things, you know, about 
AA is uh, the sharing of our stories and and why you know our stories are kind of a superpower is that uh, that you know I haven't seen that woman in a, in a long time. I changed home groups. I'm hoping she's still sober, but we don't go in the same AA communities. Uh, but that story and uh, her telling it has stayed with me all this time, and uh, and is something that you know that I, I think about when I'm dealing with difficult people. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. And good for her. I love it when, you know, somebody can say, Oh, you know what? It is me. I am, <laughs> I am the problem. Um, it's interesting. A lot of the Facebook, the people from the Facebook group are talking about expectations and I never even thought about expectations as being part of the decision making thing. But yeah, I can see how it is because if you're, if you're pondering some sort of a decision and you have an, an expectation for an outcome for that that decision and then that expectation isn't met i can see how that could be problematic and 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 you can you can just really fall down you know from that so it's like you do have to figure out a way i guess to manage those expectations during that decision making process well right and i i think that i i learned that going through the fourth step um, because that's where a lot of my resentments came from with other people um, was because of expectations that weren't met and as I you know looked at that some more I realized that oftentimes the expectations weren't met because I didn't um, tell the person that I had them, <laughs> you know, and so I expected them to be psychic and do or behave in a way, you know, um, that I wanted them to. And when they didn't, then I got resentful. So I, I think, um, in a lot of situations, it, it makes sense to make clear, you know, what the expectations are or, or, you know, the guidelines. I mean, I, I see people in, marriages uh in the last few years rewrite their vows that are that are actually more of like you know this is what i'm committing to um you know and it has stuff like you know being kind or they'll put something funny in like never buying a minivan or you know things like that and so and so it's a little more clear you know what uh what the expectations are um and so then you know they can either be renegotiated in the future but um most of my life i I didn't know that I had them and I didn't set them for, you know, uh, friendships or relationships or, you know, jobs or things like that. And, and now, um, I think that some of that is, is built in, in some ways, you know, oftentimes at jobs, you have a do- job description and, and you can ask at the interview, you know, what are the things that I'll be required to do that's outside of this description? And sometimes it's like, well, you're the person closest to the coffee. So you have to get here, you know, a half an hour early to make coffee for everyone, <laughs> you know, things like that and so you know as long as you know that when you accept the job then you know less of a resentment um so yeah being honest and upfront about what your needs are and again uh, that came from uh going through and, and doing the work i needed to do on on myself so that i knew what my expectations are um what my needs were and you know and sometimes um i'm you know, still confused. And sometimes resentments come up that I wasn't aware of, but, um, but I've definitely got much better at it. Peter's comment. It's interesting. He says that the longer he's longer, he lives, the more bad decisions he makes and the harder it is to remember that he's also made some good ones along, along the way. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm getting kind of long in the tooth. <laughs> so it's, it's like, yeah, I've, I, I can see where I've made a lot of bad decisions perhaps. Um, but it's just cause I've, you know, I'm much, much older now and I've made more decisions, but like Peter says that, you know, most of the bad decisions I've been able to get through and the, and I've made a lot of good decisions along the way too. And then Joe C has an interesting kind of a, Graphical Emoji comment. filled. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah. no. So pray a- about it. LOL. Write about it. Call a friend. Do more research. Ask Siri. That's a good one. That's it. I'll ask Siri. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that uh, my Google Assistant would be pretty upset with me if I asked Siri about things. So, so does somebody hack your YouTube account? I don't know if that's Joe. <laughs> 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 Could be. 
somebody actually hacked uh, Roger's um, Facebook account the other day because, uh, uh, and I knew it because he sent me like this really weird um, message. Yes, that- yes, actually, I, I got that too, and and I've I've learned to identify them now. You yeah, know, yeah. Say, are are you in this? And oh yeah, and it's like- <laughs> one of them was like a a, a major. Uh, it was from a friend that I knew really well and knew some real, you know. Uh, deep dark things about me um, and then you know and it said um, you're in this video you'd be so embarrassed and, oh, and that's how I knew that you know that it wasn't her because she already has all the videos oh. of me you know, <laughs> and so yeah so <laughs> so yeah I'm like you guys failed on that one because you picked wrong person to to send that to i'm glad Um, i haven't clicked on it i guess if i clicked on it it would probably hack me i guess i don't know it's so weird so weird all this hacking stuff stuff that that, uh that gets written into there that can give them the information and um but yeah the best is is not to do that or if it seems like it's important you know ask them to you know send you a link to another thing or describe the link so you can google it yourself um things like that generally if i send something i i uh write about what i'm sending so that they know that it's actually me you know sending them something rather than uh some sort of a a malicious these uh, tech tech decisions that we have to make do i click on that <laughs> i know i know That'd be a whole different show. So. They actually test us at work. They send us these emails, um, these to test us if if we can recognize a phishing email. And it's really kind of funny. Yeah, it's really it's hilarious. Some of these emails we get because some people will ask each other, "Did you get this email? What is it?" So just it's a test. It's a test. It's like we we always get. Anyway, I pass them more <laughs> often than not. Right. Right. Oh, That's funny. Oh, Peter, it's always a pleasure to do this. I, I love doing this. And, and, and uh, Jackie mentioned that we've been doing these Friday live streams for a while now. Man, we started back in March, didn't we? Um, yeah. It's hard yeah, to believe that's been going on this long, you know. Um, but, you know, it's, I don't see any end in sight. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. Unless people are just like, you know, nobody logs in at all and it's just you and me talking, which, you know, is how we did all of the step podcasts anyway. So, yeah, unless one of us finds something better to do on Fridays, (laughs) we're probably going to keep doing this. Yeah, I know. I wonder if those of you that are in in the Facebook chat and the YouTube chat, if if like, is there anything else to do? Do a Friday. Probably there's another, I know there's another live stream to listen to because, um, who is it? The, the, um, oh, what are they? Oh man. Joe, help me out. It's the Sense Right Now, the Sense Right Now podcast. They also do a live stream on Friday. You know, maybe we should, maybe we should crash theirs one of these days if you can do that. I don't know if it's possible. <laughs> yeah, I bet we could. You know, we could probably send like some messages over there or something while they're doing theirs. We could just call in. I we mean, if they call in. Call yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they, they have a pretty good them. podcast, and they're also from Missouri, which is cool. Nice. Yeah. Oh, we're going to do one um, in the morning. When are we doing? Oh, that? that's Did right. We- that's right. We need to pick a time. Um, you know, we've had people from Europe that have talked about. You know, can you guys do um, a live stream that is. Uh, you know, accessible for me in Europe. So I don't have to stay up till two o'clock in the morning. So I don't know, Angela, why don't you just pick a day and we'll do it. You know, um, I think a weekend would be good, you know, either, you know, Saturday or Sunday morning, uh, either one is good for me. Um, if, if you have a preference, you know, I'll, I'll do yeah, it. Saturday would be better for me. Okay. I have several Sunday commitments. Yeah. Maybe Saturday morning. Yeah. We'll have to look at, um, like, church, but other yeah. than that, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah. Yeah, because if you did it like 10 o'clock in the morning, that would be like um, 5 o'clock, I think, in England and um, Paris and all that kind of stuff. Okay. <laughs> in Europe, anyway. Europe and the, that whole that whole section of the globe. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just England. It's everything above and below England. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, Abu Dhabi. I, I think that's about the same. I think it's eight or nine hours. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so yeah. that works as well there. So okay, we'll do that, and we'll announce it so that people will know. And uh, so we'll have our European European live stream. You know, yeah, that'll be that'll be fun. Nice to see people so. supporting each other out there in both our Facebook group and and here in YouTube. Uh, we have a nice little community, I think. You know, we might argue once in a while, but for the most right. part, we're pretty nice to each other. Yeah, I think it, I think it's pretty helpful to each other and supportive and. Uh, 
and yeah, in general, um, you know, sometimes people are reactive, but, uh, but I think for the most part, uh, other people recognize that and, and do not take the bait to be reactive. Right, right. That's what, what I appreciate. So one thing that I've learned is if somebody says that this is so weird, if somebody hates AA, but they're in an AA group, they're in an AA Facebook group, but they hate AA, just leave them alone. Just let them hate on it, you know, because there's nothing you can say. Cause it's like, you know, I say, Oh, that's cool. You know, you can hate AA, you know, go start some, something new. They say, Don't you tell me to start something new. It's like, Jesus Christ, you, there's, you can't, there's no way to win. So the best thing to do is just leave them alone. You know, it's like, okay, you hate AA. So hang out in this AA group and make yourself miserable, whatever you want to do i don't know but yeah. i know that i'm not going to complain about it anymore but yeah because i've had the, i've had the, you know i i was trying to think you know okay i understand that you don't like it so let me you know that's cool you know this <laughs> don't even try to help them out anyway yeah yeah nope there's a lot of polarization in our world right now and so you know i i think that some of us who you know are in recovery have some tools that hopefully if we use them we can be you know, examples, I guess, uh, attractions rather than promotion of, uh, of love and intolerance. Um, or, oh, Angela, you know, something I need to tolerance. say before we leave. For those of you who don't know, there is going to be an excellent webinar tomorrow um, on emotional sobriety. And I, I talked about this last week, and I'm actually going to be the stage manager for this thing, and I'm a little bit nervous about that. But there's a link where you can click on it to register. But basically, it's going to be a uh, panel discussion on emotional sobriety based upon Bill Wilson's um, letter about m emotional sobriety, which is kind of interesting. He talks about how um, his um, problems seem to be, oh, what is it? I can't remember anymore. Anyway, emotional sobriety. Check it out. It'll be nice. All right. Go register. Cool. It's free. So. Very nice. We've almost filled up the hour. Yeah, two minutes now. I know you hate this music, but I actually have grown to like it. <laughs> it's your podcast, so you get to pick the music. <laughs> the 70s was a wonderful time. Mm. Well, I can't complain. I was born then, so, you know, it, it wasn't <laughs> that bad. But uh, some of the music choice. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. That's it. That's another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. Thank you for listening. For those of you who would like to help out our site and podcast, you can do that in a couple of ways. You can go on over to Patreon at patreon.com slash Belief and be a patron for just a small amount of money each month. You can also contribute through PayPal at paypal.me slash Belief, or just go to our website aabeyondbelief.org and click on the donate button. But as always, we know times are tough. Don't worry about it if you don't got it. It's no big deal. So that's it, folks. Uh, we'll be back again next week, uh, next Friday, for another live stream. And we will announce when we do our European version. That'll be coming up real soon. Okay. Happy Friday, everybody. And have a nice weekend. Bye. Bye-bye.